Heavenly Father, send us your spirit to guide us into your truths, the truth of your gift to us in your beloved Son, the Word made flesh for us because of your love for the world. Help us to explore these mysteries with faith and devotion. Give us light to share with the whole world the wonderful things that we have from you in your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh-huh. Well, where do we go now? <laughs> so at, at the end of the last episode, you had a really beautiful um, fervorino. <laughs> and so if, if listeners haven't heard that, go back and, and listen to the last few minutes of the last episode because uh, we'll pick it up right from there. So, Brother Israel, did you want to bounce that back? Yeah, so I, I'd mentioned to Abba Jeremy right after we finished that recording that, um, you know, something finally clicked when he said, oh, sharing the Trinitarian life, so on and so forth, show me that. And then he's like, well, I'm, we point to the liturgy and then we show how that's happening there. Um, it, it just finally clicked. Um, one aspect, or I guess one dimension of that, uh, and it's unusual that it finally clicked because in some sense it's the reason why I asked for the name Israel, but never Jeremy knows this because I mentioned that to him, but when we look at the story as told in the scriptures, for example, we look at the Old Testament, and of course we're reading it with the, with the advantage of hindsight, and we see the preparation that was happening, that the, the whole, all of the Holy Spirit, all of the uh, sacred scriptures there contain like a promise. So they're moving somewhere. Um, and then at the incarnation at the Paschal, we see what that was, what that movement was towards once it's completed. And, you know, we can talk about God working in that arc and we can say, well, show me that, show me God doing that. Well, we can look at the liturgy and see the same thing. We look at, the liturgy of the word there, the scriptures are proclaimed again. And one of the points you made for us in the preaching class was that the explicit intention of the homily is to prepare these people who have just heard the word of God to then receive the son, the coming of the son and to make that connection explicit because what happens immediately after that is the coming of the son into the assembly right there. And then, Um, but then of course, this is something St. Irenaeus talks about. Once the son arrives in the Eucharist, or he's talking specifically about Christ's arrival in, in time and history, we're able to see, because he teaches us to see, that the word and the word, so the son and the spirit, were always acting in history. So the whole Old Testament is the presence of the word and the Holy Spirit starting to prepare for the eventual coming of the son at the incarnation and the coming of the spirit at Pentecost. But all of that, you can just point to the liturgy and say, there, there it is. So it's not something that we say, well, that happened 2000 years ago in Palestine. No, we're pointing to, I guess you could say, you began the last meeting by saying, I just came out of mass. We just celebrated the liturgy of the school. But we could point to that and say, ah, there it is. That's what we're talking about. We don't have to say, look, 2000 years ago, that's where it is. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's, that, that's a good summary, Brother Israel. And I think, you know, just to make it a little more concrete, I, I just pulled out my missile here so that we can, we can look at the beginning of the of Eucharistic Prayer 3, which we often use and for good reason. It's a beautiful prayer. But listen to the, to the structure of how this prayer opens, and you'll see this, uh, this celebration, if you will, of all that God has done in the world, and it will, it, will be, it will be celebrating Trinity. We've just finished singing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of hosts. Uh, and then the first line uh, out next from the priest's mouth is, You are indeed holy, O Lord. So that you are indeed holy refers to the Holy, Holy, Holy we've been singing. And we pick it up with that. You are indeed holy, O Lord. And all you have created rightly gives you praise. So this is laying down. You have created and it's giving praise. Two directions. God creates Mm -hmm. and it rightly gives you praise. For, here's the explanation. Summarizing all the history of the world, if you will. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. This is what God does in the world. He, he, he does it through Jesus Christ, by the power of the working of the Holy Spirit. What's he do? Gives life to all things. Like, just that, that, that things exist, that people exist is the Trinity at work, and not only that, make them holy, make everything holy. That's a holy, 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 you are indeed holy. Oh, you know about holiness, so you make them holy. You, That's holy, okay? So it's, it's, it's all, it, we're coming into God, God's own being. You make, he makes them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself. Summarizing the history of the world, the whole history of the world was to gather a people to himself. What for? So that from the rising of the sun to its setting, beautiful way of saying from east to west, from that side of the globe to the other side of the globe. So this is for everyone, everywhere. So that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. So that the whole of creation can offer itself as a sacrifice to God. Wow, wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? Therefore, O Lord, since you've done all that, the prayer goes, therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same spirit, act now. Okay, you did that in, so we recalled the past, and with the Holy Spirit doing this, we say, Act now. Do you, it's your idea to gather us and have a perfect sacrifice. Since you, that's your idea, we're here saying we like your idea and we want to cooperate with it. And so we're going to ask you, Father, to act. And if we're asking the Father to act, we're going to ask him to act in a Trinitarian way. Send the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts you, we have brought to you for consecration. There we're expressing our intention here is we have brought you these gifts, bread and wine, 
so that we can make of them, or so that God can make of them, this pure sacrifice offered to his name. And so these gifts we have brought to you for consecration so that, so that what? Listen up. They may become the body and blood of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. Father, send your spirit to make these gifts the body and blood of your son. This is the Trinitarian structure of the liturgy. And, uh, and so that coming of the Holy Spirit to affect these gifts, then there follows the, the consecration and the narrative of the Last Supper, where the words of Jesus themselves are remembered, and as such then uh, effect the transformation of the gifts into the body and blood of his Son. And then after that, we, we, we offer it to the Father. Well, therefore, O oh Lord, I won't go into the whole thing or we'll, won't get anywhere else. But, I, but, but just, therefore, O oh Lord, remembering this, we offer. Remembering, we offer. So that just, I hope, makes it more concrete so that you can see this Trinitarian direction moving. Well, when you're talking about gathering the whole world onto himself, as and you said that's in a sense the whole the entire history of of creation, it reminded me of something from from your chapter where you talk about how there is this there's the this desire in humanity and probably in in every human heart for a oneness and we see again and again various attempts at that at that unity and you describe two ways in which the oneness this attempt of oneness is misguided maybe perverted and then you explain the right way a third way which is the right way which is what happens as an expression of the Trinity and what happens in the liturgy. Can you, can you talk about those? Yeah. Um, well, I think if I'm remembering uh, what the part that you're referring to in the book, are you referring to something in the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the human effort, I, I, my point I think uh, is that human efforts at achieving unity are doomed to fail because without the divine intervention, we, we can't get there. And, you know, in the history of humanity, you can see two different styles of human efforts at achieving unity. Uh, the one is just by being friendly uh, and, and saying, you know, it just doesn't matter what anyone thinks or, or says, we just, we'll all accept one another. And you're right and I'm right. And, the fact is, it just doesn't work. That doesn't hold up as unity. And it breaks down somewhere in human selfishness or human contradiction. And human beings can't really bear contradiction uh, around life's deepest questions. So that's one way. The other way is to impose unity by uniformity. And that's sort of like, you know, you see that in, uh, 
in regimes like communism or something like that, where everybody is forced into a, a same kind of way of acting, or you, you can find that in all sorts of things, where uh, people are stripped of their personal identity in order to achieve the unity of the, of the masses, however big the mass you're trying to unite might be. Mm -hmm. Well, neither one of those is the kind of unity that we have in the church and that God intends for humanity. What we learn from the Eucharist itself is that the unity of the church is rooted in the unity of the Trinity itself. Uh, the way in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. And that same pattern of relating is given to us. And it's given to us in that from the Father, I think uh, my whole chapter on Trinity opens with that, that, that point. It's sort of a, maybe I don't know what you think of this opening, but it just begins like this. I am not you and you are not me. That much is obvious to us all. But what is not obvious is the deeper reality, the common destiny desired for us by God, in which we would also say, yes, but I am not who I am without you, and you are not you without me. Now, ultimately, where I get that from is, you know, just I say it tongue in cheek, but that is said from all eternity among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am not you, and you are not me. But I am not me without you. That is to say, the Father is not God somewhere else sometimes without the Son and the Spirit. The Father is only Father always, from all eternity, being Father of the Son and the Spirit. And the Son it not, it does not go like I say, yippee, I'm God, I have everything the Father has, I go elsewhere. No. The Son is only God in relationship to the Father and indeed in relationship to the Spirit and so on. So the way in which we're meant to relate to one another in the church mirrors that intense identity of ourselves with unity in, in, in one another. And so what is honored here is difference. Mm -hmm. Because this is what's beautiful about human beings, is the beautiful difference in every one of us. These are, as St. Paul says it, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts that differ. Many gifts, the same Spirit. So all of that beautiful difference in the church is not meant, you don't achieve unity by crushing the difference. You achieve unity by bringing that difference into a relationship with the other gifts, which is to say, with the other people. Now, this, again, is not a, this is not a human achievement. This is the gift that God gives in the church. The, this, the unity of the church is God's gift to the church. And it's, so it's not, a, we have to be faithful to the gift. We can't blaspheme it. We can't, we can't betray it. We can't go against it. And we do. That's what you said. Well, why is there not, well, you know, there's a lot of problems in the church. What's that? That's the church not being church. That's the church not, not receiving 
the divine gift that is always given to us. Zizulas expresses this very nicely in his book, uh, Being as Communion, at a point where he talks about um, that the church, because precisely because she had trouble with unity from the start, found that it was necessary to constantly implore the gift of the Holy Spirit to affect the unity of the church. And you will see that every Eucharistic prayer does that. I read to you just the, the first part of the Epiclesis, which says, send the Holy Spirit so that these gifts may become the body and blood of Christ. But uh, after they have become the body and blood of Christ, in each prayer it's done in a different way, we pray that we who are nourished by the body and blood of Christ and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. What makes us one body, one spirit in Christ? Not our efforts. God's gift in the Eucharist. A gift that it is blasphemous to betray by a sin against that. Uh, something that, but, but that, but we just, okay, yes, stop sinning, of course. But, uh, we're gonna. We're never gonna get there if we think. Oh, if we just behave, unity will be ours. Mm. It's so much bigger than that because sin in the world is so much bigger than that. If it weren't, if sin weren't as big as it is, Christ would not have died on the cross. I mean, that's that's a you know in in reverse. That's a lot of love shown, but it also is how serious was the problem of humanity that required this as its solution. If you could just flesh that out just a, just a little bit more, um, and we don't need to spend a lot more time here because the next master theme is the moral life. And so we'll, we'll go into that a lot more, but just I just recognize that moral relativism is a real concern um, today and for a lot of a lot of seminarians uh, in particular uh, there is this real concern of um of avoiding it and in many oftentimes reacting very very strongly against it to maybe to another side of of what you're trying to warn against here the a sense of well just talking about right right morality and right behavior isn't isn't really getting getting at the root of the problem, and so and maybe it's not relevant. Maybe we can just punt it and just wait until the next master theme. But if you have some thoughts on um, how, so to re, to affirm what you said about the the first lines of the chapter that, but I am not I am not who I am without you and you are not you without me. That's incredibly beautiful. And I actually had a lot of thoughts about that as you were saying that and uh, really, really edifying, but how to affirm that and affirm the diversity that is, that is necessary in a human community, in a human community, while at the same time acknowledging that to affirm that incredible diversity is not the same as to affirm moral relativism. 
Yeah, well, I think we'll, in, to answer that well, we'll have to enter into the master theme of moral theology and start the question of moral theology carefully. Uh, so, you know, we can, if you remember that question, we can come back to it. Uh, but for the, for the present, what we can say is, you know, where, is, where and how will uh, any morality be articulated in the context of the Trinitarian mystery that I'm talking about and the way in which uh, you and I and all the members of the church uh, receive their identity from their communion with one another. I, I go on to say, so that little sentence that I open with, I'm not you and you're not me, but I'm not me without you. That's not enough in itself because Nelson, you and I don't do that across from one another or brother Israel and I don't do it across from one another. Like, okay, I guess we're going to have to really take our identity from one another. No, it doesn't work that way. This, I, I go on to call it an ecclesial identity. And the ecclesial identity we have that makes uh, our communion with each other vital to what God is doing in the world through Christ is that uh, I have communion with Christ and and he, as an individual, I have that. But he gives me that communion only in relationship to all others who are in him. And the structure of that is confirmed, as it were, in the figure of the bishop, who is, the, who is presiding at every Eucharist, whether he's there or not. If he's not at the Eucharist, a priest whom he has ordained is at the Eucharist. So the bishop is presiding at every Eucharist in the place of Christ, guaranteeing a unity in Christ uh, with, the, with, with, well, with everything, with the apostolic doctrine, with this prayer of the Eucharist as being uh, in communion with all the other all the other apostolic apparatus, if you will, that guarantees our communion through the centuries and across across the globe. And uh, so that by, I am in communion with you because I am in communion with Christ through communion with my bishop. That's the Eucharistic structure. And when that happens, then we uh, experience that communion uh, in the whole Eucharistic sacrifice offered, and then in the communion that we receive in the sacrifice, which is the reception of the Lord's body and blood, which is designed to effect in us a unity in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in a sense that exceeds um, the actual reality of where we are. It's, it's, our, it's me talking about how we're already in the future when, when we're in the Eucharistic liturgy. So in a sense, we taste the perfect communion of our future destiny in Christ already in the Eucharistic assembly. And the more deeply we're aware that we're, we're tasting something that exceeds our present reality, but we have experienced it, in fact, in the liturgy, then we can, 
we can, as it were, finish that liturgy and start living our lives in the world again with a much deeper sense of how we ought to live in the world because of this communion that we enjoy. And so morality will come out of that communion achieved by God's gift in the Eucharist. And morality tries to articulate in a coherent way uh, how we must live if this is our reality. So that's coming carefully to the issue. And so uh, it, that will freshen how any moral questions are faced. Otherwise, you're just going, well, we got a problem on here. How, how are we supposed to act with bombs? How are we supposed to act with money? How are we supposed to act with sex? How are we supposed to act with the environment? Well, you know, if you just face those questions, well, that's what, that's what the world is doing without mm -hmm. Christ. <laughs> Big mess, huge mess. So we're not going to face them the same way. That's not a contribution. We have to have this new creation and vision of new creation in Christ and then we do have to weigh into the world's messy sea and make a, a, a real contribution by the coherence of our lives and by the depth of our charity I don't know something like that <laughs> it'd be so much easier if you just told me what to do <laughs> <laughs> well and you know I'm thinking um, you'd mentioned also sometimes the Kind of the reaction to moral relativism, I don't know if you put it quite in these words, but tends toward an extreme um, uh, of like opposing moral relativism, where it does kind of become a little bit more of like, you know, this is a list of, of things we have to do. This is what it means to be in communion with each other. Um, and I think it, the problem there is then the center of communion isn't really the liturgical action of God in our lives, but it becomes like, no, no, you have to do this or else you are either in communion or not in communion. So the focus slowly starts shifting away from where you receive that gift anyways to um, the way you live, the way you, so we, we slowly start, you know, taking on the responsibility for sustaining communion. And ultimately we fall into the idea that we're creating it somehow too. Yeah. Um, which I think, Maybe that's the reason why you said we have to approach a moral question carefully. Mm -hmm. We have to ask the moral question yeah. very cautiously so that it doesn't begin from that angle of uh, that part of the church's brain communion. What do we do about it? Or that guy is not in communion or literally by he's not receiving communion because he's in sin. What do we do about it? Um, although I think there's places for the, that question, but that's probably not our starting point. Yeah. No, it can't be. We, our starting point has to be, we'll do this when we get to it. Our, the catechism begins that beautifully, you know, the, 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 the section on moral theology. Mm -hmm. And it begins it with a quote from Leo the Great in the 5th century, where he just said, Christian, remember your dignity. And remember in whose life you share. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, shared, we share in Christ's own divine life. Everything has to be different in our action as a result of that. So that's why I say, you know, it's a type of blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Our sin, that it's still there, is a type of blasphemy. But it's all of that is answered in advance 
in principle, in Christ's victory in the cross. And so we have to keep coming back to that, and the church does come back to it, in the memorial of his death that the Eucharist did. When we eat his bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. But what does that mean, we proclaim his death? We proclaim every day that his death defeats sin and human division. And we have to live in that victory. But we can't, this is why we can't live without it. Because, good Lord, the world is a, is a, is a, is a is, it's not doing well, as everyone can see. Not just the church is not doing well, the world is not doing well. And the church is not doing well because we are full of this worldly stuff. Mm. Uh, and so, of course, it's not, it's not going to be fixed by, by human moves. I mean, there has to be reactions and all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying it. But the, we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit every day to effect unity in the church. And, and the world doesn't think this, but doesn't mean it's right. The world needs this life. Uh, but the, the church has, of course, hurt her message by her own uh, blasphemous behavior. That's, that's, that's just part of the sad reality. But so what do you do every day? Eat this bread and drink this cup and so proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. This is our reality until he comes in glory. Well, there's probably no better place to stop. Yeah, you know, my computer's about to blow yeah. blow up. There's a, it's got the red thing on it. Uh, I moved it from uh, the the electrical plug so Brother Israel and I could sit side by side here for it. Well, thank you for carving out the time for that. I know it's a very, very uh, busy time of the year for you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you guys heard all of my uh, email beeps coming in. I hope uh, <laughs> you and the listening audience feel sorry for me for receiving so many <laughs> in any given hour. It's, <laughs> God help me. So, any, yeah, to all our listeners, uh, we just, uh, we hope you enjoy following our conversation. But for my part, Nelson and Brother Israel, I can say that it's wonderful to talk with you. And, and you know, this is, this, is, this is good for us, even in troubled times, to just do theology. It's very important that we just continue mm. inhabiting the truths of our faith, which will guide us and, and, and give us wisdom in the practical questions we have to face in the church in, mm. in these days and in this, this period of our history. Well, thank you so much. I don't want you to be late for your meeting. We'll uh, we'll decide whether to linger on the Trinity for a little longer or move on to the next master theme for the next conversation. Okay. All right. I say we're not done with Trinity, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word? <laughs> God bless you both. Great to see you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter where you will receive notices about new episodes, including occasional bonus content, 
updates from the seminarians, images with quotes from Abba Jeremy that you can share on social media, and also our new segment called Words from the Fathers, where we share a bit of wisdom from one of the church fathers, usually connected to the episode. You can sign up by visiting our website, www.theologyatmountangel.com, theologyatmtangel.com. Theology